This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to Around the Dial. Your one-stop shop for sports talk's best moments every day. Here's your host, CBS Sports Radio's Damon Amendolara. Welcome to the latest edition of Around the Dial, your home for the best in your sports talk for Friday, February 8th here in 2019. For the second time this week, it's Andrew Bogish filling in for a vacationing Damon Amendolara. We are just hours removed from the NBA trade deadline, so let us begin with the association. The Sixers followed up their Tobias Harris blockbuster by unloading Markel Fultz on the Magic yesterday, thus ending the complete debacle involving the former number one pick. This is the Rise Guys on KIFM. Is this a good deal? 76ers trading Markel Fultz to the Orlando Magic. The Magic send forwards Jonathan Simmons' first-round pick via Oklahoma City and a second-round pick to the Sixers. Markel Fultz, he was the number one pick. In the NBA draft, he's been sidelined since November 19th. He was diagnosed with thoracic outlet syndrome. Uh, His jump shot uh, disappeared after he was drafted, an injured shoulder. What do you think? Good deal? I'm fascinated to find out. Well, it's always tough to – it's tough for any team uh, this early in the process to just conclude that it's a fail. And the Sixers had to first do that. They had to first just conclusively decide, yep, we just can't rescue this. We can't fix it. Whatever may happen for him, it isn't going to happen here. So that's a big one because you gave up draft capital to do that, right? The Celtics know what you gave up because they're holding it now. So it's embarrassing. With that said, they got something for a guy who's clearly viewed as damaged goods. And, you know, I mean, they got a, a, a player that they'll use now in Simmons and two picks. And I think the winner in this uh, really is Fultz. I mean, he needs to get out of Philly in the worst way. I don't know what happened. I don't know about the thoracic outlet um, syndrome syndrome or anything else. There was a tremendous amount of confusion and cross-information about what was even wrong with him, when something was wrong with him, or why something was wrong with him. He gets it out of Philly. He goes to a place where, frankly, no one's watching – and he can just work on basketball again. I think he's got a chance to rescue. He's a kid. He still has a chance to rescue his career. Markel Fultz has played in 19 games this season, but he's been out, as I said, since November 19th. He's averaging 8.2 points, 3.7 rebounds, 3.1 assists. But, of course, with him right now, it's not about the numbers. Uh, he's played 33 games total in his two NBA seasons. It's about his jump shot. Mm-hmm. He's a guy, for whatever reason, physical, mental, some strange combination, Lost the ability to shoot a jump shot. Yep. Number one pick in the draft. He got the yips. Well, I'm I'm a huge believer without any conclusive proof that it was physical that became mental. I think there was something wrong with him. And and after that, I think it became a thing uh, that was definitely, I would say, emotional 
intellectual, you name it. I mean, I don't think I, there was no confidence in anything that he did. And if you watched him play in college, and a lot of people out here on the West Coast did, there's no way you can even. He doesn't even look like the person who no. played in college. No. So yeah, I'm I'm all for him. I have such uh, hopes that he'll be able to be a great player, um, but at the very least, become a serviceable NBA player. You know, just go on and forget the draft thing. Now you've been moved away from Philly, so you don't have to live with that first pick, first pick, first pick. Now you're just the guy who got traded to Orlando. Man, I would not touch Markel Fultz with a 10-foot pole. Credit to the Magic for taking the gamble that may very well pay off here. From their end, it's not a huge price tag. It's a significant one. It's one that I actually think is bigger um, than I would have predicted back in the middle of the week before the trade deadline. Um, but it, the payoff, obviously, here is huge. I just don't know that you'll get that huge payoff because, like everybody else, and like the guys are just discussing, I got nothing on what's wrong with Markel Fultz. It's certainly a little physical. It's certainly a little mental. You put them together, and those are possibly two problems that you just can't figure out or can't fix. If that shoulder is just shot, then he can never be the offensive weapon that we thought he was going to be coming out of Washington. And if it's in his head, there's maybe even less of a guarantee of figuring that out and getting to being peak Markel Fultz. Then you mix in those around him that seem to be vociferous and meddlesome and certainly have his ear uh, as good as he is or could be or was at Washington. And I didn't think it was wrong to take him number one in that draft in the moment. But now, not knowing what's going on right now with him, I just couldn't pull this one off. As for the Sixers, uh, they get Jonathan Simmons back in this one. That's a nice piece, a useful piece for their bench, which is the one issue now if you want to point to post-deadline after loving getting Tobias Harris from the Clippers. Their bench is not perfect, uh, so they're going to get guys like Jonathan Simmons. Maybe they've got a buyout candidate coming their way as well here too, um, but that's the one weakness that they may have. I think it's trumped, though, by that starting five. And the idea that Worst case, like two of those five are on the court at all time. That, to me, in most scenarios, is something that they can survive and then go deep with once we get to the postseason. The Chicago Bulls' biggest deadline move was taking Otto Porter Jr. from the cost-cutting Wizards this week. But that's not what GM John Paxson was discussing with Dan McNeil and Danny Parkins on 670 The Score in Chicago. His Bulls are a mess and have been for a long time unless you actually ask Paxson. So, John, are, are you saying then that the perception that exists that veteran players, star players, don't want to come to your team because of the organization uh, borrowing uh, your predecessor's verbiage is fiction? Well, I, you know, I, t- tell me, I, say, I, I don't hear any specifics about our organization from anyone. Anthony you know, Davis I, would be one. Well, no, he's not. Look, if, if he... Has he said? Has he said bad things about our organization, or does he just doesn't want to play in our hometown? If you don't, you know, we've done our work. You know, we've we've inquired. Obviously, you always do. Go well, ahead. I was going to say, well, there there have been specifics that people in league circles have said have painted you guys in a bad light. Whether it's what, what are they? Tell me. Uh, the press release after Tibbs was let go, seemingly kind of walking over the job that he did here. The issue with Speci- but specific players have commented on that. Is that is that what you're telling me? I, I, I'm just trying to grasp. Because there's a lot of generalities here 
that you're you're you're, you're telling me, and I'm just asking a question. No, you're telling me that the players and you have this perception, and you're you're, but you're not giving me, you're not telling me any names, you're not giving me any specifics. Yeah, after, after the Kings played here this year, and uh, after the Jim Boylan issue with the near mutiny and the players contacting the union, they beat the guys at the United Center, and they're coming and off the court. See, that's, a, that's a falsehood right there. They never contacted the union. They they never did. See, I, we saw Adam Silver shortly after that. Adam told us no one from the union ever called the league. See, see, that's where this that, it makes my point from a little while ago. Little things take on a life of their own, and they become facts even when they're not. So you're using as an example something that didn't even happen. And so if that's hurting our perception, well, so be it, because we can't do anything about it. Pax, I want to know how you would uh, respond to people who make the following statement, and they make it every day. There's no pressure on these guys. The franchise is valued at number four in the league. The building is full, and while it might sound from time to time like the natives are growing restless, they leave the pitchforks and torches in the parking lot and come in wearing bull's garb, swiping their credit cards. How do you feel about that? I don't know. I, I mean, what, what am I going to say? I mean, what... You know, these end up. It always ends up like with these things. I'm I'm well aware that there's a March 6th protest of me and Gar, those type of things. You know, and and I know that. You know, here's here's how I'll respond. We made a decision two years ago to change the franchise around. Made the playoffs a bunch of years, not good enough. Okay, we're no man's land like a lot of teams get. So we changed course. Okay, I'm confident that we'll do it again because we've done it before. In fact, I can make the argument that since 2003, when I got the job, the team had been terrible for five years. We turned around, got the playoffs within a couple of years by changing a lot of different different things. We did it again when we got lucky in the draft with Derek, and we did get lucky. You know, that's part of getting a high pick in this draft. But we did it again then. So I'm very confident in how we go about our business, and I cannot worry about the fact that there are people out there who say. You know, I don't deserve this job, or I don't. But I, 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 and I'm not going to sit here and try to try to defend myself every day because it just takes energy away from me and the organization that that I don't want to take away from it. So, you did, look, you, pe- people can have their opinion, and it's it's whatever. But um, I think there's a lot of misinformation out there. You guys have already pointed out stuff today. There's a lot of things that on your in your forum, your talk radio radio forum, that people latch on to and take as gospel. And then use that as a way to, you know, not only criticize, but, you know, mock, uh, name call, you know, all these things that, that are, are, you know, it's just, it's wrong. But people have their opinion. What that, other what falsehoods are out there? What, a lot of the perception things about us, you know, I mean, so every time I come on now, it, these become interrogations. They're not interviews. They're interrogations. I have to admit, I was a very bad New Yorker growing up. I did not root for Patrick Ewing and Charles Oakley and John Starks and those Knicks teams. I was all in on Jordan and Pippen and Horace Grant and John Paxson and those Bulls. Those are my guys. Uh, Smart enough, lucky enough to leave that back in my teen years post-Jordan once he was fat. The Wizards, I was done with Chicago, came back here to the New York area, and love the Nets, not the Knicks, which is paying off right now as well. Uh, but the Bulls, this is a disaster. So I'm thankful that they are no longer in my head, in my heart. Fred Hoiberg fired. Jim Boylan comes in near mutinies. The guys mentioned because he actually made the players practice and work hard, and they freaked out. 
Paxton and Gar Foreman just shouldn't have this job anymore, for being 100% honest. So Paxton can defend and nitpick and talk semantics all he wants, but the Bulls need a facelift from top to bottom if they ever even want to come close to sniffing the sustained success back in the 90s. The Warriors, they stayed put at the deadline because they're the Warriors and really can't get much better anyway, but they did spend some time in the headlines this week because of Kevin Durant's outburst at the media. Now, just to recap, Durant had been silent for about a week while everyone discussed him signing with the Knicks or maybe somebody else in the summer. Then KD went nuts after Wednesday night's game. His head coach then discussed with Damon Bruce, my third favorite Damon behind Damon Mandalara and Johnny Damon. This was on 95.7 The Game in San Francisco. Can we talk about the trustful, healthy relationship that the Bay Area media has with one Kevin Durant? Sure, sure. I mean, I, you know, it's uh, this is part of my job. It's part of his job. It's part of everybody's job in the NBA. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's something you... Uh, you deal with every day and and you uh, you try to make the best of it and you know it can be it can be a lot of fun too you know especially especially when you're winning and you've got a good team so um, I, you know Kevin's been great over the the past few years with the media I think you'd probably agree he's been very forthright and uh, engaging and so you know last night the last week or so not so much, but uh, you know, let's give him a pass. Yeah, well, and and I think that you guys give so much that passes are given in many instances, and yeah. and and you know uh, the the benefit of the doubt is extended to a cooperating partner, and the Golden State Warriors to a man are cooperative partners. Very much is the case. Um, did you talk to Kevin Durant about how he handled that moment last night, and did you hope that in nine days? to consider how that moment might play, he would have come up with a better strategy than intimidating a room? Uh, we we have not spoken since then. We didn't have practice this morning. Uh, I didn't even see it, uh, see the interview until I got home last night. And uh, we just landed in Phoenix, so we haven't seen each other. Um, I'm sure we'll, we'll have a conversation at some point. Um, but you know he's a grown man, and and uh, you know he's uh, he's got to do his job. I've got to do mine, and uh, we talk all the time, just like uh, you know I do with all the players, and they talk uh, amongst themselves. And so we're all part of this. We're you know when you're on the same team, you you deal with uh, each other's issues, and you try to help each other through everything. So, you know, if there's anything I can do, I'm, I'm definitely going to help him along. Did you offer him any advice? The, 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 you know, here's how I would handle this, Kevin. No, no. Uh, he's been in this league a long time. And uh, to be perfectly honest, um, you know, I, I, I didn't see that coming. You know, I, even though he wasn't speaking with the media the, for the last week, I just thought – you know, he just needed a break. He was probably tired of all the speculation, and I just thought, you know, he'll he'll eventually uh, get back uh, speaking with the media. And and uh, I didn't I didn't see any of that coming. What happened last night? Warriors head coach Steve Kerr here on ninety five seven The Game, and I, I'm not asking you to speak for Kevin. I never would. Do you, Steve, think in any way he's being treated unfairly or unjustly? Uh, I, I think that that's uh, I, th- I think the issue. For Kevin and for all NBA players, especially the guys in the superstar roles, is you know the the focus has shifted so much uh, in the league. It's become almost fantasy basketball. 
You know, it's um, instead of the focus being on, you know, the Warriors playing for a, a third straight title, um, all the focus seems to be on where everybody's going to be playing next year. And uh, look, that's part of the part of the deal, especially if you sign a one-year deal and you're a superstar and you're going to be a free agent. Those questions are going to come, um, but you know I think part of the part of the deal too is trying to shift the conversation in the direction you'd like, and you know, and and that's what that's what we try to do with our franchise. There's there's a lot of things that can be discussed, and a lot of things that can get off track, and uh, we got to do our best to uh, to try to steer the con- the conversation back to our team and winning and what's really important. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. And that is exactly the point from Steve Kerr. It is 100% annoying and tiresome and troublesome for Durant to always hear these questions and get text messages and and phone calls and face-to-face conversations and Instagram DMs. We know he's as himself and others on the internet all the time. So I get it. It's all in his face. It's pressing. But this is what he signed up for specifically from above as well in general because He has set up his contractual status this way where he continues to be on the open market every summer. We also had him on video when that Draymond Green fight happened in the game early in the season where he absolutely 100% said, that's why I'm out, as he was walking back on the floor from their little altercation. So that only, you know, pseudo confirms that he's going somewhere else when we get to the summer. So he's got to deal with this. If he didn't want to have people wondering about his future, he could lock up his future long term. He's chosen not to, so he's got to deal with this. He's also got to deal with it just in general because this is part of the job. You can't be Kevin Durant. You can't be Steve Kerr. You can't be any professional athlete making millions and millions of dollars without the media and without the fans. And too bad if sometimes you need to answer questions, and some of them are dumb and stupid and unprofessional, but for the most part, they're not. These are men and women just doing their job legitimately, asking questions that, by the way, you helped create. Finally, from the basketball world, There is the Dallas Mavericks. Kristaps Porzingis is now there. They dealt away Harrison Barnes during a game this week, just before the deadline, getting more headlines. But all things considered, a busy week, a productive week for GM Donnie Nelson, who tried to break it all down. The life of a GM during deadline week with Sean and RJ on 105.3 down in Dallas. What is your sleep schedule for real during the deadline like are you are you just going to sleep a lot less are there times when you know you could miss a call are there safe periods when you know your phone isn't going to ring or get a text messages what is the the Donnie Nelson sleep schedule during like this past week all general managers is actually in our contract is we don't sleep until September (laughs) (laughs) that works (laughs) but is there like midnight to 4 a.m you know you're fine you know you you know you're safe Oh, no, no, no. I mean, night before, you're getting calls pretty much, you know, all through the texts or calls. Um, no, you got to keep it on. It's uh, it's it's kind of like all-nighters that you pulled in college. 
you know, and we were wondering, like, do you get random calls? Like, do you have people calling up saying, hey, let's trade for Luca. Let's trade for poor. I know you just got poor singles. Let's trade for him. Do you get even offers for Doncic, uh, even though you know he's an untouchable? Oh, yeah. There's always probing phone calls. And uh, yes, uh, you know, and, and again, I'm, I don't take offense to, to anything. You've got to just be open-minded and um you know obviously you there's certain guys that you are, are non-negotiables um uh you know the slovenian and the german and the the latvian and uh, <laughs> and then yeah so but but no it's uh it's a thing where you you know kind of um you know you've got you've got to be able to have real conversations about you know lots of different things donnie can you just reset us on what you see in porzingis's uh, ability on the floor and how you see it meshing with Luca and the other talent that you guys have moving forward? Well, I tell you, it's a super exciting time to be a Mavs fan. I mean, we've seen um, at the tender age of 19 what Luca is doing, and it's just um, it's just a special, special um, thing to watch. Um, it, you know, Przingis is really, uh, in, in his own right, the same thing except a frontline player he's he shoots threes uh he's got a post up uh game he's versatile really can really pass it um total team player um you talk about two prince of guys they they're they're like dirk and that they're just um you know just really special people off the court as well family oriented uh, very very tight circles um so to have two of those guys at their ages, um, one, you know, at the point guard, point forward, or whatever you want to call Luca, and, you know, one at the front line, you know, position is just very, very unique. And now it's our job to kind of, you know, fill in the the backups and, you know, the, the, the meat of the two, three, and four spots, the small forward, you know, power forward and the, um, shooting guard, you know, and we've, we've addressed that a little bit. That was, um, kind of what we did with Sacramento. Um, we really like, uh, Jackson who's coming in here. Hardaway is another, you know, piece that we're going to, you know, build and move forward with. Obviously we've got Dorian Finney-Smith and, you know, Maxi Kleber and, uh, Dwight. And so we've got a really, really good mix of a young core moving forward. And with the leadership of guys like Devin Harris and, Dirk, obviously, and uh, J.J. Barea, um, you know, you've got a really good mix of uh, the seasoned veterans that can teach these young guys the ropes. So there's Donnie Nelson pulling off one of my favorite recent moves, uh, trading a little of something in Dennis Smith Jr. to get Kristaps Porzingis. Obviously, now they need to keep KP there long term. But, man, Porzingis and Doncic for years together, Good luck with that, Western Conference. Uh, let us put basketball aside for now and switch to baseball. The baseball world in mourning today after the passing Thursday of the legendary Frank Robinson. Mike Francesa, remember, the Triple Crown winner, then baseball's first African-American manager on WFAN in New York. Frank Robinson won an MVP. He was known to be a proud, tough player. And at that time, being a proud, tough black man, a lot of people didn't like it. But that's what he was. Hard-nosed player. Tough, tough base runner. Gave no quarter. As, as smart a base runner as I ever saw. 
I've often commented that I'd watch Frank Robinson and I'd see a ball hit into the outfield and Robinson would never look up and he'd turn second and the ball would be in the outfield on a hop and he'd be on third base and you'd say, how do you know he's going to drop in? It, it, it was amazing to watch. And there were guys as good as Frank Robinson. They weren't many better. I mean, he was that good. Traded from that Reds team because they didn't like a lot of things about him. As in, quote unquote, old 30 by the Reds, who called him an old 30 when they traded him in one of the worst trades in baseball history to the Orioles for Milt Pappas. So he goes to the Orioles, and Robinson becomes Robinson and Robinson and Powell and Johnson and McNally and Cuellar, and obviously they become the Birds. And he goes on to win championships there. He goes on to win an MVP there. He goes on to win a Triple Crown there. And what I hated was, see, he hated the Yankees from those early 60s. And when he came to Yankee Stadium when I was growing up and the Yankees were terrible, he rubbed the Yankees' nose in it every single chance he got. And that's the Frank Robinson I remember and couldn't stand. I hated the Orioles. I never hated the Red Sox growing up because they weren't any good. I hated the Orioles because the Orioles used to embarrass the Yankees when I was a teenager. When I was a kid and watching all those games and the Yankees were no longer any good and Mickey wasn't even there anymore. And they used to embarrass them. I mean, toy with them. And nobody toyed with them more than Frank Robinson. Nobody. Brooks went about his business. He was flawless at third. He'd hit a big home run. Boog would hit a big home run deep into the Yankee up, you know, into the bleachers or into the third deck. But it was Robinson who just tormented him, who went in the stands and put the ball back in his glove and came out with the ball and said he caught it in a controversial play where we all know he didn't, but he got away with it, and he's smirking as he went back to the dugout. Stuff like that that Robinson pulled. He was a great, tough player. Then he became the first black manager to become even more historic figure and was still working in baseball at 83 years of age as a special advisor to the commissioner. A career that started in 1953 when he got 3500 bucks. He was still working in baseball at 83. And when I think of Hall of Fame, is this, see, when I talk about Hall of Fame and we quibble about whether this guy's a Hall of Fame or that guy's a Hall of Fame, when I think about Hall of Fame, I think about Frank Robinson. That's the kind of guy that you think about in the Hall of Fame. 294 batting average, 1,800 RBIs, triple crown winner, the only MVP winner in both leagues. 586 home runs, first black manager in Major League history, 10 home runs in 35 postseason games with that strut, that elbow over the plate, getting hit by pitches all the time. I think he was in the top 10 all the time getting hit by pitches. Tougher than tough, gave no quarter. The sneer, the Frank Robinson sneer. I love baseball. And I learned to love it long after Frank Robinson actually played the game. But I can still see that powerful swing, those long arms, muscular arms, a helmet with no ear flaps, just crushing baseballs. The history of the game so alive and so well because of guys like Frank Robinson who made the game. It's great now because of the work that those guys did in the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. Um, Historical figures. 
for a number of reasons. That's what Frank Robinson was and will ever be with inside the baseball world. And now finally, on the first weekend without NFL football in a very long time, we check in on the AAF. It is opening weekend in the Alliance. San Diego Fleet GM Dave Bowler was on with Dan Cilio on KWFN. What was the biggest challenge for you guys putting a team together? You know, it was really tough because some of the guys hadn't played in a year, even like Burko. You know, Josh hadn't played in a year. And you watch Josh's last preseason game, like, oh, my, why isn't he on a team? And guess we were right on that one. But, you know, that was a little tough. And But the thing about today's players compared to when me and you came out, they work with trainers all year round. They're still haven't given up. So they weren't total out of shape. You know what I mean? Uh, we knew it at minicamp. We didn't get to do it. It was, it was better than we thought. So I guess the unknown, but, uh, you know, once they start coming together and, you know, it was a tough cut from 75 to 52, but you know, um, yeah, it's, it was better than expected. Do you agree to Dave that probably the surrounding stuff surrounding the game was probably more of the obstacle than actually getting the players together. Would that be fair? Where you're playing, facilities, training, traveling, and all of that, uh, that would probably be where you guys had your biggest challenge. It wasn't so much the you know, football told, end of it. It was the business end of it. True. I, I told Mr. Embersole and Bill Polian when they visited me the first day at camp, hey, you know, it's truly alliance. When you got the uh, uh, video guys helping the equipment guys, uh, the bus shows up one day, the laundry just got there, and, the general manager and personnel director are handing out bags and towels, you know, the strength coach uh, running practice. It's we're all in it together. Uh, it was, it's, it was definitely a major undertaking to bring eight teams to San Antonio, you know, all the equipment, all the hotel rooms, meeting rooms. You, you can't imagine, you know, I've done it in college football, I've done it in NFL, but it's, the last two months have been a roller coaster, but then you're like, hey, game time's almost here. It's been worth it. It almost, it was, for all the hard work, it was fun, though, too. Absolutely. Two last questions for our friend Dave Bowler, the general manager of the SD Fleet. As I said, they get ready for their very first game in the AAF on Saturday against the San Antonio Commanders. You know, this could be, is it, this is going to be a league, and you tell me if I'm right or wrong on this. This is going to be a league where. You know, when, when I was in the World League, that was something that we were all aspiring to make it to an NFL roster and get into training camp, and we're all looking for that. But is this going to be a league where maybe players can do this, Dave? Hey, this may be someplace I may not make it to the NFL, or I may not, and I think this will end up being better than the Canadian League. If this thing sticks around for over five years, you're going to have more talented players with more of an opportunity to play here instead of going north. Don't think disrespectful the CFL, but I don't want to go to another country to have to play football. That being said, this could be something that could be there for players to play for the next five years, fair? I, I agree with you. You know, I remember watching you play in the World League and friends of mine from Arizona State, Paul Justins of the world, yeah. and uh, Toby Mills, but it's like, I think it's going to be a good deal. You know, guys, uh, uh, John Latouille, our starting linebacker, he gave up his, uh, he played in the NFL two years ago, but gave up his uh, framing business to play ball in the 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 uh, the wage they make, you know, the base salary is seventy five k plus living expenses huh. and meals is a lot better than going north to Canada. So yes, besides guys who want to take the next step, I think it's a uh, it's it's a good league for people that still want to play ball. <laughs> 
So we finish with the Alliance after starting with the Association. Now, I know that some of you crave football. You need it all the time. I would be okay if it was just college hoops and some hockey and some spring training right now, but I will 100% sign up for the Alliance. And in particular, my love and affection out of the gate goes to these exact San Diego fleet. I love the name. I love the city. Hope they give me some good football over the next couple of months. And with that, we are done for today. Have a tremendous weekend, and thanks for listening. DA will see you again back here on Monday on Around the Dial, your home for the best of your sports talk. Until Monday, for DA, I'm Andrew Bogish. Thanks for listening to Around the Dial. Subscribe now for the best daily recap in sports talk on Radio.com or the Radio.com app. 